uh, I was in a tournament for basketball, and I sub-blocked my knee, which is when you dislocate it, it goes out, but it goes back in by itself. And so I could have been out for the rest of the season. And uh, today I sat on healing chairs, um, and I got prayer over it. And like in the moment, I felt a different change, and the others noticed it too. And I got up, and I was able to fully extend my knee, and I was able to jump, and I was able to run. So good. Yeah, come on. That's when running in church is encouraged. So that's good. So good. I thought the future of the church is in good hands. I mean, I'm just like on the spot, young man gets up here, articulate, shares Jesus, and uh, man, well done, Pierce. Well done. So good. All right. Uh, we're in a series called The Terms of the Blood Covenant. And so if you'll turn to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews is a New Testament book, and he's going to give the terms of the New Covenant, but he's quoting an Old Testament prophet. So here's what he says here, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. So now he's about to give the terms of the blood covenant. Here we go. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. We dealt with that a few weeks ago. That was term number one. And I will be their God, and they will be my people. That's the second term of the covenant. We dealt with that at the beginning of the week. Remember we talked about Abraham, how he lived out the covenant. Um, And they shall not teach each other, each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. That's what we're going to deal with today. And for I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. We dealt with that the last few weeks. Has this been good news, this series, or what, man? I tell you what, the blood covenant's amazing. So if you remember, the, uh, the New Testament was written in Greek, and the Greek word used for covenant in this passage is diathike. You guys remember this from the, uh, way early? Okay, okay, good, 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 yeah. It's, it's just been on your mind ruminating here. The idea behind a diathike is it's an unequal covenant, okay? In an unequal covenant, one person does all of the giving, and the other person does all of the receiving, Okay? One person has all the strengths, all the assets, is bringing everything to the table. The other person is bringing their neediness, and the two get together, and it makes a great pair there. And so um, uh, the second person who's doing all the receiving has no responsibility to fulfill the covenant. Their job is to receive and say thank you. This is good news. Okay? So in the, blue, in, the, in the new blood covenant that God has cut between God and Jesus, God has taken all the initiative, okay? He's the one who stated the terms. He is the one who is fulfilling the new covenant. He's the one who said that I will be their God and they will be my people. When he says I will be their God, that's taking all of the responsibility, okay? What's our job? To be his people. <laughs> it's, to like be, uh, it's to abandon ourselves to the one who's given all of himself to us and to say thank you, Jesus. We receive these things into our lives. God's the one who takes the responsibility to write his law in your heart. Guys, you couldn't write his law in your heart if you tried, right? So he's the one who takes the initiative. And not only does he write his law in your heart so you know what to do, but he becomes the power inside of you to be able to do it. That was good news. Then he said he would remember our sins no more. Listen, there's nothing you and I could do to get rid of our sin. Okay, so God, so you see what I'm going to do. I'm going to come, I'm going to pay the price for their sin, and then I'm going to take away their sin forever. We looked at that the last couple weeks, all right? So let's look at the, uh, this week, uh, Hebrews 10, 11. Let's look at that phrase again, Hebrews 10, 11. And they shall not teach each other, they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, know the Lord. It's a little bit of an odd phrase. For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. So God's saying, listen, I'm going to take it upon myself. I'm promising you that you're no longer going to need somebody else to tell you what God is like. You're not going to have to go to someone and say, what is God is like? Oh, let me tell you what God is like. God is going to take responsibility. He is going to teach you himself what he is like. 
okay? And so that he says, yeah, everyone will be able to know God. So let's look at what it means to know God. So this, uh, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. This word know, it doesn't mean like, God, you're going to know facts about God, like, like you would know about Abraham Lincoln, this historical figure, okay? Listen to the way that this word is used in the Old Testament. Uh, Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. How many of you guys know if you know your wife in that way, kids don't just pop out if you're knowing facts? <laughs> like, like there was an intimate relationship, an interactive relationship. We're keeping this PG. How are we doing so far? All right? And so, uh, yeah, it's a knowing of someone in an intimate way. They didn't just know facts about him. God says the way that Adam knew his wife, this intimate relationship, is the same way that we will have a knowing of God, an intimate knowing, an experiential partaking, not just knowing facts about, okay? How many of you guys know you can know about someone and never know them in a personal and close way, okay? You can know facts about Abraham Lincoln or Napoleon or Babe Ruth and still not know them. I don't know why I picked those three people. I have no idea, but... Um, Anyway, but um, in the Old Testament, Israel, they knew all about God. They knew facts about God. They had types and shadows and pictures and teachings and prophets and all sorts of things. We'll look at that in a second. But they didn't know God. There was actually a barrier. There was a big, thick curtain, a veil in between. And Hebrews says it was intentional because they couldn't just walk right into God. There had to be some other things dealt with. They knew about God. It's possible even in a new covenant, spirit-filled church to have a whole bunch of teaching about God and still never know him. Boy, there was, a, um, there was a movement in the uh, early 1900s called the Pentecostal movement where people began to experience the Holy Spirit in new ways, began to speak in tongues. There was a charismatic renewal, kind of the 50s, 60s, early 70s, Catholic renewal. And a lot of people's grandparents experienced God, and then the kids heard about it, and the grandkids, it's just kind of a great story. Guys, we can't have this in, in the church where the stories about God and experiencing God are, keep it this way, our memories can't be better than our, uh, our current reality. Okay? Part of the new covenant is God says, you get to experience me yourself. Not just your grandparents, not just great outpourings, not just historical revivals. God says, I'm taking the initiative so you can know me. I'm going to teach you myself. Boy, guys, there's churches all across America where it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Bible. The Holy Spirit is the weird uncle. At the family reunion, a little bit nervous about him. We all kind of know he's there. Let's just kind of pretend he's not. Let's not talk about him. Guys, there is no new covenant without the Holy Spirit. We're going to get to that in a second. Christians can know all the facts about God, argue doctrine, know the Bible, but never meet the author. Guys, the whole point of the Bible is to meet the author. The Bible is a unique book. It's the only one that when you open it up and read it, that the author shows up. So in the Old Testament, they, uh, they, they knew about God, so they, primarily two ways, priests and prophets. And so the priests, they had these ceremonies and types and shadows and sacrifices. And the, uh, we looked at um, how the high priest on the Day of Atonement, he would go in and he would meet with God right in the presence of God himself one day a year in the Day of Atonement. And he would come out and tell people what God was like. So they had all these types and shadows and pictures of what God was like. And the prophets came and it was like each one of them had a piece of a jigsaw puzzle. And they would tell what God was like. And so you've got... Um, Hosea. Hosea, um, he had this picture, and it took his whole life to demonstrate. It was like his family was on a platform, and his life was being played out, this whole drama of showing what God was like, and he was showing God's unconditional love, his unfailing and unrelenting forgiveness. That's what God displayed. But he didn't have a picture of anything else. 
That was like the one picture. And you get to Amos, the prophet Amos. He was like this old country bumpkin shepherd. And he gets there, and he's got this picture of God's justice and God's righteousness. And then you've got Obadiah and Micah, and you've got all these different prophets. They each had a little piece. It was like this jigsaw puzzle, but there was big gaps in the knowledge, okay? And so Hebrews 1 puts it like this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in the last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he created the world. Like I said, each, each prophet, it says, they had like a little bitty picture, but Jesus is the full picture. He is the full puzzle. He filled in all the gaps, okay? And so, but even with all of that, nobody knew God for themselves. This Old Testament picture, this Old, sex, uh, Old Testament jigsaw puzzle. Okay, here we go. I need, uh, I need a volunteer with a high threshold for pain. Anybody? Just kidding. I need two volunteers. Come, come on up here. Two volunteers. Micah, Matt, come on up. We got it. All right, here we go. Let's give it up for our brave volunteers here. All right, Micah, since you're big, I'm going to be nice to you. Okay, here we go. You're going to stand here with your back. Face, no, no peeking. Okay. Matt, you're going to have your back this way. And Matt, I'm going to um, ask you to close your eyes, and I'm going to um, place something in your hands and have you describe it. You may not know what it is, but don't open your eyes yet. I'll let you open your eyes at some point. You guys good? You may not even know what this is. Okay, ready? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this in your hand without opening your eyes. You can touch it and feel it. I want you to begin to describe it to Micah. It feels spongy like, uh, and rubbery. Kind of like an octopus. <laughs> Those are expensive. I did actually. No, it's not an octopus. It's not an octopus. Not an po- octopus. Uh, maybe a fancy mat. Okay. Now, why don't you open your eyes and begin to describe it to Micah? Okay. It's purple with uh, these squares, and uh, it's like a nice seat pad that you could sit on that would be comfy uh, going to a football game. All right, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. All right, Micah, with your eyes closed, I want you to hold this. Okay, go ahead, feel it around a little bit. All right, now open your eyes and look at it. Okay, so how did it change when you were going, well, what was the picture you were getting in your mind when Matt was describing it? He started at first, when he, were you a little nervous with the octopus? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're, was, you're thinking, I'm next, I'm next, right? Yeah. I was thinking like it was a toy or something, but once, this is exactly, once he got to see it, this is exactly what it looks like. All right, good. All right, let's give it up for our two brave volunteers. Thank you, my queen. It's actually for your lower back sitting in an office chair. It comes in a little case, blah, blah, blah. All right, there we go. I've got a link uh, for, no, I don't have a link for that thing. I'm just kidding. <laughs> So I want you guys to see this. Um, That's what it was like under the old covenant, is somebody was feeling it and pieces of it, but they couldn't see the whole thing. And then people were just hearing it, describing it. The guys, and that that was the best that they got. And so, uh, uh, and so, and you can imagine. Then when they when Jesus came, they got to see it for themselves, right? They got to see what it was like. But then it went to a whole other level. Jeremiah, he says, this is what it's going to be like in the Old Covenant. He comes and we quote it in Hebrews here, but here's a paraphrase of it. When the New Covenant is cut, you're going to know God for yourself directly and personally. Not just because you saw it, but because you could see it, taste it, smell it, feel it. And he's actually going to come on the inside of you so you could experience everything that Jesus is. God took the initiative to correct any knowledge in your gaps with Jesus, but then he came inside of you so you could experience Jesus himself. 
Jesus said this, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Okay, Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. Okay, so with that little activity that we just did in mind, we're going to read uh, John chapter 1. You guys ready for this? John chapter 1 in the New Living Translation. I think it's always good to read scripture out loud. Some people apologize for long passages. I always think if you read scripture out loud, at least you've heard something from God today. Okay, here we go. John chapter 1, verse 1 from the New Living Translation. In the beginning, the word already existed. This word is a metaphor for Jesus. Okay, it's a picture of Jesus. It's like your words are, are uh, you and thought form. It's like, it's like an expression of you coming out, right? He was with God. I'm sorry. He was with God and he was God. He was in the beginning with God. He created everything there is. Nothing exists that he didn't make. Life itself was in him, and this life gives light to everyone. The light shines through the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Verse 6, God sent John the Baptist to tell everyone about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was only a witness to the light. The one who was the true light, who gives light to everyone, was going to come into the world. But although the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him when he came. Even in his own land and among his own people, he was not accepted. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn. This is not a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan. This rebirth comes from God. Here's a, this is a big part here. So the word became human and lived here on earth among us. In other words, imagine if uh, Micah and Matt were blindfolded. Or, uh, this is God's removing the blindfold. Now they can see. Their eyes are now, they're not closed, they're now open, okay? So the word became human and lived here on, among us, lived here on earth among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, okay? This is, our eyes are open, the blindfold's off. The glory of the one and only Son of the Father. John pointed him out to the people. He shouted to the crowds, This is the one I was talking about when I said, Someone is coming who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before I did. Verse 16, We have all benefited from the rich blessing he brought to us, one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. Now listen to verse 18. <clears throat> no one has ever seen God, but his only Son who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has told us about him. That's powerful. And so in the Old Testament, prophets and, and priests, they, they give you little pictures of this thing. Jesus comes on the scene. Our eyes are open. We can see exactly what it's like. Jesus came to show us what God was like. Guys, if you're ever wondering what, uh, a lot of people, they get their, uh, let me back up. There's a quote from A.W. Tozer. He says, whatever you believe about God is the most important thing about you. That's a pretty powerful statement. Here's another one. Whoever God is to you, he will be through you. So you've got a lot of Christians who are angry and judgmental. Why? Because that's how they see God. Okay? You've got Christians who are loving and caring for the poor and forgiving of people. Why? Because that's how they see God. And so a lot of people, they're taking these little pictures, these little snippets of God from the Old Testament, and they're making that this is what God is like. Okay? If you want to know what God is like, we have to get it from Jesus. He is the complete revelation of God. Job is not the complete revelation of God. Any questions you have from the Old Testament that don't lead you to Jesus, you need to ask some better questions. Those other things were type, shadows, pictures, puzzle pieces. Jesus is the whole thing. Listen. Yes, yes. It's about to go up a level. Okay, anyway, John, John chapter 14, verses 8 through 10, Philip said, this is Jesus on, the, uh, on his last night with his disciples, and he's in the upper room. He's given them some instructions. 
Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. I think Jesus had just say, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And Philip's like, show us the Father. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Boy, it is so important to get our theology about the Father from Jesus. This is so good. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. What an incredible model of the Father living in Jesus, the Jesus living in him. And later on, he says, Jesus said, me and the Father, we're going to come and live in you, and you're going to live in us. Guys, Jesus was not just showing us something to be impressive. He was actually modeling a lifestyle of the normal Christian life. Jesus was the most normal Christian who ever lived. Normal Christianity is the Father and and Jesus living in us, us receiving words, us knowing him intimately and representing what he's like to the world. The mystery of the gospel is that Christ is in you, the hope of this world seeing glory. What's glory? It's the character of God. The only hope this world has of seeing what God is like is through Christ being expressed through his, uh, his, through his kids. If you're waiting for some glory cloud to come over a city and zap the city and everyone's like, oh my gosh, now I believe. You can be waiting a long time. The mystery of the gospel is Christ in you, the hope of this world seeing what God is like. Colossians 1.15, New Living Translation, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Jesus is God with skin on. You and I are Jesus with skin on to the world. Which is why this world (laughs) has such a bad view. (laughs) But we're growing. We're getting better. Okay, do we have that slide? This is for God. So do we have that? Okay, read this with me. For God so loved the world... It's actually not what it says. It says, for God so loved, loved the world. Sometimes you can become so familiar with something, you don't even know what it says. Not too many sporting events you can go to that doesn't have a John 3.16 sign up. And everyone thinks they know what John 3.16 says. And so I really believe it's been misunderstood and misapplied. You guys ready for this? Put up John 3.16. Let's read it out loud together. This may be a little bit different than the version you memorize. You probably memorized King James. But let's read this one. For God so loved the world... That he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And traditionally, this has been uh, used to teach that Jesus didn't die so that he could punish you for your sins, but you could save you, and you could live in heaven forever, right? You could have eternal life in heaven forever. That's what it's been taught, right? And it's true. Don't get me wrong. That's only half the verse, though, okay? We often stop at that whoever believes in him should not perish, okay? So Jesus died so you won't go to hell. You won't perish. That's true. But there's another half of it, eternal life. <clears throat> and that's the part I think has been, uh, has been misunderstood. So I'm going to give you four facts about eternal life. I'm going to give you four-point sermon. Normally, I have a point. My sermons are pointless. This time, four points. <laughs> you guys know, I don't normally give numbers. You guys ready for this? Here we go. Point number one, the purpose of the gospel is eternal life. Okay, the real purpose of Jesus coming to earth is not to just save you for your sins. Okay, we're going to see what eternal life is in just a second. Um, it was, uh, it was Jesus came to make God known to us, okay, and, uh, and, and so that we could know him. Our sins were just in the way. So a lot of people have made that first part, those shall not, that you shall not perish, as the whole reason Jesus came. So you can get a get-out-of-hell-free card, right? And so uh, let me explain to you why this, uh, this fact about eternal life is, is important. With point number two, eternal life is knowing God. Okay, so the purpose of the gospel is eternal life. What's eternal life? 
It's knowing God. Okay, the night before the crucifixion, Jesus said this in John 17, verses 2 and 3. This is revolutionary. You guys ready? For you granted him authority. This is, this is Jesus speaking about himself. He's talking to the Father. For you granted Jesus authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Okay, that's pretty cool. He's given eternal life. What is that? Now, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. What did he just say eternal life was? It's knowing God. Okay, the only, it's, it's knowing God the Father and knowing Jesus his Son. That's what eternal life is. A lot of people think eternal life is, is living forever. Listen, guys, everybody's going to live forever. Forever. You're going to live forever in hell? Are you going to live forever in heaven? Like eternal life, everlasting life, that's not living forever. That's not what this is talking about. It's talking about an eternal kind of life. Okay, this is the life that God has in himself that you now get to partake in. Okay? Uh, so, which brings me to point number three. <clears throat> so we've seen the purpose of the... I'm, 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 I'm going to teach this professor style here. I've got my Mr. Rogers sweater on. I'm, I'm going full professor here. <clears throat> It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. <laughs> Purpose of the gospel is eternal life. Eternal life is knowing God. But number three, knowing God is an intimate relationship. Okay, these scriptures reveal eternal life is not just living forever. John 17, 3, it's to know God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Guys, this is speaking about more than head knowledge. Remember, we looked at the Old Testament. There was a word know there where a man knew his wife and kids popped out. Right? It doesn't quite happen like that. But they, they conceived a child, and there was more to it than that. And so there, it was an intimate partaking, uh, an experiential relationship. Okay, That's the same word that gets translated here in the New Testament. It's the same word that gets translated there. Um, the same way Adam knew Eve is the way that each person, in the same way that Jeremiah prophesied that under the new covenant we would know God, that we just read in Hebrews, this is what he's talking about, that, um, that each person would know God, that we would have this intimate relationship, this eternal kind of life where God himself would teach us. We don't need someone else to say this is what God is like because God himself would come and tell us what he's like and we would know it by experience. Listen to John chapter 10, uh, verse, chapter, uh, verse 4, and then 14 and 15, Okay. You guys getting this? Eternal life is intimacy with God, knowing God intimately. John chapter 10, verse 4. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. And he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. This is this word know over and over again. It's the same word there. I know my sheep, and they know me. Just as, listen to this, just as, okay, this is the same way. Just as the Father knows Jesus, and Jesus knows the Father, I lay, my, I lay nice, I may lay, I'm going to read it. I lay down my life for the sheep. So Jesus' relationship with us is compared to a shepherd and a sheep. We know his voice intuitively. We hear it. We, we know it's him. But then he takes it a step further. He says our relationship with him, with Jesus, is just like his relationship is with the Father. Guys, Jesus wasn't showing off on earth what God is like. He was showing us what, what man in right relationship with God could be like. Where he is in the Father, and the Father is in him. So, so much so he said, I don't even do anything that I don't see my Father doing. Well, he set the bar high, but guys, we've got to see what the bar is. The gospel isn't just get out of hell when you, uh, you know, go to heaven when you die. It's a ticket to the heavenly stadium. It, of course, it includes that. God's not trying to get you into heaven when you die. He's trying to get you into heaven before you die. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's an eternal kind of life that he wants us to enter in and to do now. And the point of it is that we could know him intimately so that we could represent him accurately. How we doing? I know my sheep 
and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Bobby Connor has this beautiful picture. He says, I want to be like a leaf on a tree responding to his slightest breeze. That's a beautiful picture there. The level of intimacy between the Father and Jesus is the same level of intimacy that he's inviting you to have with Jesus and me to have with Jesus. Okay? Okay, so now let's bring all this learning back into John 3, 16. Okay? And this verse says, God loved you and me so much. I'm paraphrasing here. It's not up on the screen. God loved you and me so much that he gave his one and only son so you would not perish but have intimacy, closeness, and a personal relationship with God Almighty. That's the purpose of the gospel. Sin was just in the way. He wanted to bring you into his heart, bring you into Father's house, bring you into his intimate presence. In the Old Testament, there was this big, thick curtain, and the message was clear. You can't come on in. There's too many things that have to be taken care of. Remember when Jesus died, it said the curtain in the veil, this big, thick curtain, was torn from top to bottom. It was made clear. The way in is now available because of Jesus. Remember, the priest got to come in once a year, the very intimate presence of God. He says, now it's available to anybody because of the blood of his dear son. Would you agree this isn't necessarily the message we've heard of the gospel necessarily? It's mostly been turn or burn, get right or get left, smoking or non-smoking section for eternity, right? Uh, either repent or you're going to go to hell. And um, I'm, not sure, you know, I'm not sure that's good news. I guess it's, you know, it's, 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 people are usually angry when they say it. Let me say this, guys. If the only benefit of salvation was that our sins were forgiven and we went to heaven, it would be way more than any of us ever deserve by a millionfold, right? It would still be God's goodness on its part. It would still be worth preaching and sharing with people. I'm not trying to belittle that, okay? But if all a person does is come to the Lord and get their sins forgiven, what happens is they're getting a gospel of salvation rather than the gospel of the kingdom, Jesus never came and said, I'm now announcing the minimal entrance requirements to get into heaven. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Peter, I told you, head bowed, closed. No one looking around. Repeat this prayer after me. You're good. No, he said, come follow me. Come learn from me. Come, come learn how to be like me. He said he was with his disciples so that he could be with them. Then he sent them out. The real purpose of salvation is to have intimacy and a personal relationship with the Lord, not to just pray a prayer so you can go to heaven when you die. I'm sure there will be people in, the, in heaven who prayed a prayer, and they will be in there that never got to, didn't really fulfill the purposes. Of, they may have to wear a dunce cap for the first millennia. I'm not sure. There's not going to be dunce caps in heaven. I'm just, some of you got worried. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31, Jesus, uh, he shows how he gave us intimacy and a personal relationship with himself. Ready for this? Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Verse 32, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Paul's using marriage as an illustration, the way that a husband and a wife, they leave their families and they become one flesh. He's saying this somehow actually has a picture of Christ and the church coming together as one. Guys, when we look around the American church and it, um, and it looks kind of anemic sometimes, it's not looking like Jesus, um, it's because we're making converts and not making disciples. Okay? What they're getting in and on is, you know, pray this person you're going to have when you die. And then it's like, well, you know, following Jesus and learning how to be like him and having your character transformed and knowing God, those are like, you know, step four, five, and six. They're like, I only signed up for step one. I I think I'm good. I think I'll just live like hell the rest of my life and just stay here at step one and pray the prayer. Hey, that's not the gospel. 
That's a, it's a terrible misrepresentation of the gospel. Suddenly, a relationship with God becomes like a sunroof. Yeah, it's a nice option, but I think I could live without it, right? To review our three points leading into our final fourth point, how are we doing? The purpose of the gospel is eternal life. Eternal life is knowing God. Knowing God is an intimate relationship. And number four, eternal life is available now. Okay, some of us act like everything that Jesus did on the cross is for the millennium. It's for some time in the future, you know, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing it will be. Yeah, I'm sure it will be amazing. Yeah, but it just stays in the pie in the sky in the sweet by and by. But, you know, how many of you guys say, I want steak on my plate while I wait? Right? And that's what, that's what Jesus paid for. Listen to John 3, 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Past tense. Like, like you, you, it's, it's a reality in your life when you believe in the Son. You have this intimacy, this access. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains in him. Okay? Right here it says eternal life is a present tense position. It's something that we can possess right now. It's not something that's going to take place in the future. Okay, when I die, then I'll have eternal life. No, no. It's a present tense reality now. We can know God intimately now. 1 John 5, 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Present tense reality. Okay? Um, When we don't explain the real purpose of salvation, I feel like we do a real disservice to the gospel. We present... uh, uh, salvation is something that just deals with the afterlife. What happens, guys, is so many people are living hell on earth in their current life that they're going to put off their afterlife, okay? God actually wants to, God has answers to the problems in your current life. It's not just fire insurance for later, okay? Okay, so when we make, uh, yeah, when we make salvation to something that's future, a lot of people are going to put off that decision because they're just trying to survive today. And the truth is, God did come to change your eternal destiny, but eternity starts now, okay? Jesus came to deliver us from the present evil world. Uh, my final, one of my final scriptures. Galatians 1.4, Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our, will of our God and our Father. So that means when you, whatever, that hyperlocate your knee, whatever he said, whenever that happens, he has a solution for that. If you're sitting here with diabetes, if you've got a cancer diagnosis, if you've got a bill that you can't pay, you don't just comfort yourself with, well, someday I'll be in heaven. Yeah, absolutely. That is our hope. That, that is our comfort, eternity with Jesus, better than we ever deserve. But guys, he paid for more than that. He paid for you to have eternal life now, where you can begin to know God and be delivered from this present evil age now. Okay? So here's the deal. So Jesus came and showed us exactly what God was like. But guys, if that's all he did, it would just be facts in history. We would just know about God. Okay? And so this is why he says, listen, guys, it's better for me to go away so that you can have the Holy Spirit. I know a lot of us are thinking, how would it be better for us to have the Holy Spirit than to have Jesus? Well, Jesus could only be in one place at one time. Now he can, uh, he's not just an external reality. He's inside each one of us. Listen to John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. This is Jesus telling his disciples. They got to be freaking out. He's telling them I'm leaving. For if I do not go away, the helper, this is one of the names of the Holy Spirit, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, here's another title of the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Guys, the Holy Spirit can actually give you foreknowledge. 
I mean, this is such an unfair advantage for a believer in the workplace and in anything that you need. He can actually tell you about things in the future. I'm just going to let that one go. Verse 14, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit is how we know God today. It's how it takes the Jesus of history. Jesus actually lived in the, on this earth, died, rose from the dead. There was a physical Jesus. Okay? If it stays there, we're just like, the, we're just like the, um, the Old Testament people. We know about God. But what the Holy Spirit does, he takes all the things that Jesus did in that spiritual realm, and he brings them into your experience. Okay? God loves you so much, he sent the Holy Spirit to personally mentor you into your destiny. All those things that Jesus paid for, he now makes them real in your life. And notice it didn't say the Holy Spirit will tell you truth. He said it will lead you into truth. Okay, what does that mean? It means you're going to have an experience with the reality of it. If the Holy Spirit leads you into truth, it doesn't just make your head smarter. It makes your experience better. Okay? When he guides you into truth, it will actually work in your life. If it's not working in your life, then you haven't been guided into truth. You've just been told about truth. <clears throat> so now there's an invitation for you to ask the Holy Spirit to guide you into that truth so it will work in your life. Yeah. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. He's a beautiful Savior. I can't think of the rest of the song. Would you be mine? Would you be mine? Would you be Jesus' neighbor, but he lives inside of you, so he's not really your neighbor? Okay, there we go. <laughs> there is no new covenant without the Holy Spirit, and that's why I think it's really sad that a lot of churches just completely avoid the Holy Spirit. And so um, after we uh, get through the holidays, I'm gonna, uh, I think I'm going I'm to do a family series. I'm going to do a series on the Holy Spirit. I just feel like we really need to know him as a friend. And so it's going to be super fun. Yeah. In closing, like super quick close, like beat the Baptist, the Bob Evans clothes. Are you guys ready for this? <laughs> How do you get to know someone? It's like, hold on, we get to know Jesus. This is amazing. Intimacy is in me. How do you get to know someone? Let's just make it real simple. Talk to them in time. Like, how do you get to know anybody? Okay, uh, is time and talk to them. Okay, so let's talk about talking to them. So um, it just says so some little things. Is uh, you know when you get uh, really good news and you want to share it with someone, start sharing it with Jesus. You're like, oh, am I talking to the Father? Am I talking to the Son? Am I talking to the Holy Spirit? Yeah, absolutely. So sure. I'm not sure it super matters, okay? Like, don't, get, don't get all hung up on that. If you want to be theologically correct, we talk to the Father through the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It's, it's, just, it's, it's all in there. It's big God. It's a big God. So don't worry about it. Just talk to him. But when, like, when you get good news, you can begin to develop a friendship with the Holy Spirit like you would any other friend. Is you can begin to share good things with him. Good things happen. He's not like this invisible friend, but he's a friend who's invisible, but he's real. He's more real than anything on this earth. All this earth is fading away. He's going to last forever, okay? Um, bring him into what you're already doing. I think a lot of people think, oh, man, if I'm going to be a really good Christian, I'm going to have to do a whole bunch of new things. No, 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 no. It says whatever you do, in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. To do it in his name means to do it in the manner that he did it in. And so, and so listen, Jesus was just as much in the Father's will when he was making benches in his carpentry shop as he was when he was raising the dead. Like, like, it all counts. There's not like this spiritual life, and no, and i got to go to my 9-to-5 job, and I'm working for Nebuchadnezzar Jr. over here. And so, no, it's like, <laughs> like it all counts. And so when you wake up, you can wake up and say, look, you can, I, I love the, I, I didn't read the book, but I think it's a great title, and it's probably a great book. Uh, Benny Hinn, Good Morning, Holy Spirit. 
What's the idea there? Is you're waking up and you're greeting your friend, the Holy Spirit. So you can, you can wake up and, and greet the Lord. And Psalm 16, 8, I've set the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. And you just set, God is with me in everything that I do. And so you, uh, as you're showering and that water is washing over you, you can just remember Ephesians 5, that I've been washed uh, like as, as, as pure water through the word of God. Lord, I just thank you that I'm so clean that your blood forgives me of all sins. I'm forgiven forever, past, present, and future. Lord, I'm so in love with you. Right? As you eat, God, I thank you. That I don't just eat, I'll live by bread alone because I'm gluten-free. No, because, um, <laughs> right, because I, I, I live on every word that comes out of your mouth, God. Now, I, I live to hear your word. Lord, I'm feasting on your words, and you're rehearsing prophetic words that you've written down over your life. We're rehearsing key scriptures God's done you. What are you doing? You're feeding yourself on that. What are you, what are you doing? You're, you're communing with God because he is that word, right? And um, so just share with, I'm just giving you a couple ideas. Share good news. Bring him into what you're already doing. And ask. It's okay to ask him. Part of prayer is asking. Just don't make it the only thing, okay? It's not like the Santa Claus list, okay? But it's okay to ask. I mean, that's, that's a big part of prayer. And so, uh, you know, I think Andrew Walmack said something like, he, I mean, he just made up this statistic. But he said uh, 90% of prayer is just intimacy and fellowship with God. I think a lot of us, it's, uh, 90% of our prayer is asking, 10%. So uh, just, I just encourage you just as a stretch th- thinking is, man, what if more of my prayer life was just simply enjoying? That counts as prayer. Just enjoying him, turning my attention towards him, turning my affection towards him. What am I doing? I'm building that intimacy. I'm stepping into what's already there. I'm realizing what he paid for. So talking to him and then time. Here's just a real quick thing for time. How many of you guys realize time is not found, it's made? You know, hey, let's get together one of these days. That means none of these days. Okay, that's, it's not going to happen if you don't put a date on the calendar. Okay, and so, yeah, I'll spend time with God when I get a bunch of extra time. When you're dead, that's when you're going to have a whole bunch of extra time. Okay, and until then, you're going to need to make the time. So here's a little acronym to help. You guys ready? Divert daily, withdraw weekly, maintain monthly, abandon annually. Say it with me. I'll just go through it slowly. <laughs> Divert daily. What if you just, every day, you just you said, you know, hey, this is just part of my life. This is part of my rhythm. Just like you brush your teeth. Yes, yes, thank you, thank you. Just like you brush your teeth um, and, uh, and bathe regularly. And so um, I, I just threw that one in there. I had a roommate who was like trying to see how many flies he could attract. So I'm just putting in that one, okay? And so um, divert daily. Just make it part of your regular routine where it's, uh, I'm going to have some unhurried time with the Lord. So I don't know if that's five minutes in your break room. You wake up and you, you, you have some time in the Word. Like I'm, I'm not trying to prescribe. However you feel close to God, do that, okay? I, I think, you know, have... The word of God intake a few times a week would be a great thing. You know, you can even read longer passages on some days and meditate on the things that stuck out to you on other days. Like, don't, don't get under law on this thing. Um, how many of you guys realize Jesus didn't have a Bible? There was no printing press. There was scrolls in the temple that got read once a week, and they had to memorize it and keep it before them. And so don't get under bondage, okay? And so whatever you do to feel close, a lot of people feel close to the Lord outside in nature, I personally do not, and I prefer it indoors with filtered air through air conditioner and all the good stuff. Yes. And so, but some people, they find it, the reason you feel close to God in nature is because he has arranged it just the way he wants it. So you're stepping into an environment created by God. And so, man, if that's you, find some time to get away with the Lord and just, and just enjoy him. So, but um, just divert daily. And so just whatever that looks like, whether it's minutes, multiple minutes. Tens of minutes, hours, well, I, don't know, I don't care. And, you know, and don't tell people how much time you're spending with the Lord. Just, I can get a little prideful. And it was this one guy, it was, uh, he became known as, he prays four hours a day. I'm like, 
it's not really helping his pride if all of us are finding all that out all the time. Anyway, like every time he got introduced, this is, anyway, it's you. No, it's not. It was in his Divert daily, which are all weekly. What if you just, on a regular basis, just scheduled some extra time with the Lord in the week? Maybe it's an hour. Maybe it's two hours. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe it's a Saturday before the kids get up. Maybe, whatever it might be. But just, so divert daily. Every day, I'm just, I'm encountering the Lord. I'm setting my heart before him. I'm, I'm having that unhurried time with him. Withdraw weekly. Uh, maintain monthly. You know, what if you did a half day? What if you, you know, I'm just giving, I'm just giving ideas. Don't get under law. And then abandon annually. What if you took a, a day or two or three day retreat just with the Lord, just to get away, whatever that looks like. So how do you, how do you develop in this uh, friendship with the Lord? Just talk to him and spend time with him. And those are just some ideas. Let's stand for closing. Oh, no, no, no. We're not standing for closing prayer. We have a closing exercise. I've been doing all the talking. Now you guys are going to do something here. All right, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 11, and I want you to look at these three words, come, take, and learn. Okay, you guys are going to do a little exercise, a little meditation exercise with the Lord. And so um, here we go, Matthew chapter 11, this is Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yoke is not the middle of an egg. <clears throat> yoke was an uh, agricultural term. Or picture like a heavy wooden, um, oh, a w- wooden thing <clears throat> that like fit on the neck of one oxen and fit on the, uh, uh, on, on the other oxen. And so they can kind of tilt it and they can kind of steer the oxen that way. So the idea of being yoked with Jesus is you never work alone. Okay, he's the one who does all the heavy lifting, right? And so um, I want you to just uh, look at how Jesus described himself. I mean, uh, I am... Um, I am gentle and humble in heart. Well, he's inviting you to experience this, and he kind of gives this tender call. He said, he's not like, I'm trying to heap a whole bunch of more obligations on your already burdened life. That's not, that's not what he's saying here. And so I want you to just take these three words in the context of this passage. Come, come to me, take my yoke upon me, and learn from me. Okay, those are, those are three invitation words. Come take and learn. And what I want you to do is just take 60 seconds, and uh, he's, Jesus is, he's not making us do them, okay, but he's inviting us to come, take, and learn from him. And so I want you to just reflect on this invitation, what your response might be. And uh, maybe we could put, I don't know if there's a way to get all those verses up on one slide, probably not on the fly here, but maybe at least put the first one up there if you, if you can't get them all in there. And so I'm going to give you guys 60 seconds to just sit there and just receive this invitation and respond to Jesus however you want. Come, take, and learn. See you in 60 seconds. All right, let's stand for closing prayer.
Hey, as we get ready to close, I just want to uh, just give an opportunity for anyone to respond that maybe you haven't heard the gospel presented quite that way. Maybe you prayed a prayer to get into heaven when you die. Maybe you haven't. And um, now you're realizing, hey, there's more to it than this. It's about getting to know God, getting to know God personally, and to be able to learn from him, to be able to become like him, to have him not just uh, in the future, but have him in my present. So a lot of what uh, we present the gospel in two words is trust Jesus. It's saying, I want as much of him in my life as possible. And so uh, if you're here today and you're like, I don't know, I don't know God. I'd like to know God, and I wanna, I'm, I'm putting my trust in Jesus. He is the way. He is the one, uh, the, the only one worth following. And so if you're here today and you're like, I want to do that, I'm just going to ask you to be bold. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess, him, I'll confess you before the Father. And so if you're here today and you want to follow Jesus, uh, you haven't before, or maybe it's been a while, I'm just going to give you an opportunity to respond. Would you just be brave and just raise your hand? Is there anybody in here? You're like, I want to, I want to follow Jesus. I want to know God. Is there anybody in here today? All right. Well, if you're online, uh, let us know so we can follow up with you. And if you didn't respond but you wanted to, our prayer teams will be up here at the end. And so uh, we'll, be, we'll love to pray with you. Jesus, we love you. Lord, we thank you that we don't just have to know about you or read about you in a book. That, Lord, that book becomes alive. And the Holy Spirit takes all that you did and makes it real in our life. And so, Lord, we ask for that uh, spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Jesus. Open up our eyes. Help us to see you more clearly. Help us to experience you more clearly. And I just say this, Jesus, I want that friendship with you. I want to know your voice. I want to know you more by experience. I love you, Jesus. Jesus.